Hey everyone, thank you for downloading this episode of The Final Third. We got a great show for you today. We talk about El Clasico, Harry Kane perhaps leaving Tottenham Hotspur. We talk about who the U.S. men's national team's starting striker is and what our striker pool looks like. But before any of that, do not forget to follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Final Third Show. Give us a rating and a follow on whatever podcast platform you want. And if you want a free shout out, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts with a couple of sentences on why you like the show. We always like giving a short highlight on our reviewers and our fans that listen to us. So we really appreciate that. And with that, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another news and predictions episode of The Final Third where we discuss big stories from this week in soccer and then go over some predictions for big games next week and discuss the predictions we made last week. My name is Jack. I'm a Minnesota United fan, Chelsea fan, Atalanta fan, French national team fan, and Slovakia team fan. It's It hasn't increased yet, uh, the amount of teams I support, but... It seems to increase about once a month, but I'm joined with AJ. Yeah, I'm AJ. I'm a Minnesota United fan, U.S. national team fan, and West Ham United fan. West Ham just beat, was it Wolves today? Almost, no, it almost Lester. did it. It was Lester. Lester. We beat Wolves last week. Lester this week. Both of those games very, very close, unfortunately, even though we went 3-0 up. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good that the U.S. national team, women's national team, are playing and I'm excited that the MLS season is coming up and we're talking about all you know three of those things you know Premier League US national teams and MLS this episode and we have a great episode coming up just the basic format we, again like Jack said talk about the big stories that happened in soccer both on and off the field USMNT corner we talk about a big topic with the US men's national team in the USMNT corner then we go over last week's predictions and go over the big games that are happening this coming week. But before that, Jack, we just finished our spring break. How are you feeling? Are you you feeling well-rested and ready to tackle on the next four weeks of school? Oh, yeah, of course. I I love it so much. It's it's so great, Uh, online school. Love it. Yeah. And we are also both vaccinated at this point. I just got my uh, vaccination this past Friday. So hopefully... That means that we can finally do in-person recording instead of having to do this finally. this Zoom garbage. And we can potentially go to games together, both in the professional and the amateur field with uh, uh, Minneapolis City SC. So that's that's pretty exciting, I think. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm, I'm super looking forward to that. Yeah. And also in that kind of the same vein, we are doing something new this coming week. I mean, we've been talking about it at the end of the show, but I thought... I'd, Mentioned at the top of the show, Jack and I are going to hopefully be doing a, a live watch along of Minnesota United versus Seattle Sounders at Lumen Field, kicking off this Friday. I think it's the second game in the MLS season. It's mm-hmm. going to be on, I believe, FS1 or something like that. And we're going to be hosting a live watch along on YouTube. We're not going to be streaming the game, obviously, because that's illegal, but you can, you know, watch us at the same time as you're watching the game and we'll be probably complaining that we're going to be losing minnesota united's going to be losing but hopefully not hopefully not uh, we'll have a lot more details about that elsewhere on our twitter so if you want to 
find out how to watch us there. That'll be at Final Third Show, and we'll give you some more news. Jack's been working hard on that, and hopefully we can make that happen because that's something that we'd want to do in the future. All right, Jack, with that, do you have anything else to say, or do you want to get I mean, right into this? I was, I was just going to say, I've got, oh, yeah. I've got a few pages of notes getting ready for the, for the game just so uh, you know it's prepared. I only have two spots written in the starting lineup that I'm pretty sure will come true, so we'll see if... Uh, that actually comes true, but All right, I'm excited exciting. for that. Yeah. yeah, I feel like you're going to have a lot more notes for, for <laughs> that game than I will. I think I'll just come in and be like, yeah, let's go see some MLS soccer. Yeah. But yeah, well, yeah, keep, keep up with our Twitter account if you want to watch that. And yeah, let's just get into the big stories right away. We're staying in MLS for this first story. And we're talking about some of the MLS transfers that are pretty big that happened in the past week. We don't really talk about transfers in MLS that much. So I thought I would. And because it, this is the final third, we don't just tell you what happened, but what it means going forward. I thought I'd tell you the winners and losers of these transfers. So first, we have Frankie Maya going to Red Bull, New York from FC Cincinnati. Frankie Maya is a 20-year-old American attacking midfielder currently with FC Cincinnati. Earlier this year, he requested a move on uh, away from the team, and he wanted to leave due to him feeling as if the club was not committed to him as he, he you know, once thought. And it looks like New York Red Bulls will land the American midfielder as it's been reported that a trade has been finalized for a rumored fee of $1 million in GAM. And the winners of this trade, in my opinion, are Frankie Maya for moving to a club known for developing youth, New York Red Bulls for getting another young midfielder to join Caden Clark, and FC Cincinnati, who get $1 million to reinvest into their revamped team. So overall, it's like everyone's a winner here. Then we have Ramon Abia to MNUFC, our hometown team. Abila is a 31-year-old striker for Boca Juniors, and he's joining Minnesota United on loan for the 2021 season with an option to buy. He scored an impressive 17 goals in 40 games for Boca Juniors in the past two seasons, which is impressive given his age and given the competitiveness of the Argentinian Superliga. This is just a TAM signing as well, and it gives Minnesota United flexibility in roster building. The winners are Abia, obviously, who gets to have a new start in a new league at the twilight of his career. Boca Juniors, who gets to potentially offload a player who has, hasn't been consistent for them. And what do I mean by that? Well, let's go over the potential winner slash potential loser. And I'll say it's Minnesota United, who you know, admittedly get a talented, albeit often injured number nine. Abia has missed a total of 16 games for Boca just last season, and that number raises to 22 when you include the season before. His talent and output shouldn't be questioned, but his injury history should. For a team that struggled for, to find a consistent number nine, it brings into question whether or not he's the answer. Uh, next, we have Kevin Cabral, who's a 21-year-old French winger from Valenciennes FC from Ligue 2, and he is joining the LA Galaxy for a reported 5.9 million dollar transfer fee and this will be la galaxy's third and final dp this is a big investment from la galaxy as they paid a pretty penny and brought him in on a five-year deal he's a speedy speedy left winger who is poised to replace christian pavon he has decent output bagging in nine goals in 31 games which is impressive for a 21 year old and the winners here are valencianas who got six million dollars for a player it's pretty good but potential loser you know, I'd say it's, a, it's a LA Galaxy who spent good money and burned a DP spot on a player who has no guarantee to replace Pavon's output. League Duh is a good league, but he, can he adapt to MLS? That's yet to be seen. 
Alan Franco uh, is the next player. Alan Franco is a 24-year-old Argentine, Argentine center back from India, Independiente who's joining Atlanta United on a DP contract. Yes, a center back DP for a $2.8 million transfer fee. He's an interesting player as he excels at defensive positioning, passing, and creating things out of the back, which seems in line with how Heinze will want to utilize his defense. What I find interesting about all of this is that he's a DP. It's not every day a team spends a DP spot on a center back. Even more interesting is that they already have three DPs, but they can buy down Moreno's contract to clear a DP space. Then next year, they can buy another DP and buy Franco's contract down. So this time next year, they can potentially have five DP caliber players plus their three U22 initiative players. That's a lot, but that's just to say Atlanta United is very good at roster building. Winners, everybody. Jack, do you have any uh, opinions on these transfers? Well, uh, I'll speak on two of them, and they're the two I know a lot more about, to be fair. Uh, Frankie Amaya to Red Bull New York. That that just seems like a good deal because, yeah. you know, I, I think one of the things that uh, RBNY have been missing since they got rid of Bradley Wright Phillips is just a solid attacking talent to tie everything together. They had a decent defense, uh, but it, it's really the attack that they needed something in. Amaya could be the piece that ties everything together and makes them like genuine playoff contenders, which could be really good for them. A Kaku replacement, perhaps, since he exactly, left uh, yeah. this summer or last yeah. summer or whenever he did. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, Ramon Abila, uh to Minnesota United, you know, he's already got a goal involvement. He got an assist in a preseason game versus Orlando. He looks, he looks sharp. He looks ready to contribute. Mm -hmm. And I honestly think it's the one piece Minnesota United were really missing. And they have such incredible depth now at the striker position. They've got, uh, I think it's, they have four different or five different striker options actually, which is like, you know, pretty impressive. And they've all been contributing a lot. Abila just seems like a really logical piece, but like you said, that injury history gives a little bit of worry. Yes, if only we can get some more center back depth now that it looks like Ikapara is also leaving. You know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. We talk about Seattle Sounders versus Minnesota, so we'll see, we'll see what we think about that. But Jack, take us to a very, very big game, bigger than perhaps Seattle Sounders and Minnesota United, but who knows if that's actually the case. Talk about Real Madrid winning El Clasico this past weekend. Yeah, well, Real Madrid, they won their second El Clasico this season, and that's the first time since 2008 since they won both of them in a season, which is very impressive, especially since Real Madrid have had a ton of injuries this season. And Barcelona were on a very impressive unbeaten run. Uh, I believe it was 19 matches unbeaten that they, that they were on. And, you know, that's the first time they've been beaten in 2021 in La Liga. So that's very impressive by Real Madrid to pull off such an important upset in this title race. They've also won three El Clasicos in a row for the first time in 42 years, which is, which is double my lifetime. Uh, so that, that's a very long time. Uh, so I, I think that's, that's really incredible. I mean, we're going to talk more about the specifics of the game when we go about the predictions, but just some stats from that game. Uh, this is actually the seventh El Clasico without a Lionel Messi goal, which is very strange wow. given how, you know, you associate Messi as the biggest contributor for Barca, but the last time he scored in an El Clasico 
was when Cristiano Ronaldo made his last appearance for Real Madrid in an El Clasico. So that just gives you some perspective on, you know, a little bit of a drought there that that's happened. And there, there's all, there was also, as with any of these games, a, a, a lot of drama about penalty shouts. In fact, uh, at the very end of, of uh, well, after the game, uh, Ronald Koeman walked out of an interview because he asked the interviewer what their opinion was on the penalty shout. And when the interviewer was like, well, I don't know, he just stormed out saying, don't sit on the fence, coward, basically. It was pretty, it was, it was a pretty strange, uh, strange interview. But uh, yeah, I, I think that this is really good for Real Madrid. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Real Madrid, so I'm not too happy about the result. But it, it's an impressive result that put them top of La Liga for a day until, you know, uh, Atletico Madrid drew against Real Betis today. But it sets up a really exciting final few weeks for uh, for the Spanish giants of Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Atletico Madrid as they search for a title. But one final stat that I want to stick you with, uh, Barcelona has never won a league title in a season where Real Madrid won both El Clasicos, huh. which, you know, makes a lot yeah. of sense, but uh, but it... It doesn't bode well for Barcelona. They're quite a few points behind now. They're two points behind top, and they just have to hope that everyone else above them loses a lot and that they keep winning. So we'll see what happens. But if I'm a Barcelona fan, I'm not looking too happy. And Atletico Madrid fans, I'd be worried as well. Yeah, I, I will say when we look at kind of the the impact of this game, it, it, it bodes really well for Real Madrid. And I think this truly turns La Liga into kind of a three-horse race. Would you, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I will also say it does further the gap in terms of total El Clasico wins uh, between Real Madrid and Barcelona. I think it's uh, Real Madrid are now at 98 wins in El Clasico to Barcelona's 96. So that's, that's a very good gap that they they've built so they they can't they can't give up that that win lead in only uh the next game so that's pretty good for them i will say what this means for barcelona is that they still have a youthful team they still have a very young team who's pretty inexperienced and i think this really signals a change in the direction that barcelona need to be going in instead of going towards you know, they're veterans such as Messi, PK, Busquets. They're going to have to kind of lean into the youth and rebuild their team to find a new central core. So I, I wouldn't be too mad if I was an FC Barcelona fan in terms of what this means for our long-term future. In the short term, if I'm being honest, if Barcelona lose this title, it's going to be because of this game. So I would be pretty mad about that. But Jack, why don't you say... We move on to you know, a- another big team that might be losing one of their star player, Barcelona with Messi, to now Spurs with Kane. According to a report from Oliver K and Jack Pitbrook of The Athletic, if Tottenham fail to make the Champions League, Harry Kane will push for a move out. Harry Kane obviously needs no introduction. He's been with Tottenham since his youth years in 2004. He's the team's second all-time goal scorer, and he scored the eighth most in the Premier League, despite playing more than 100 less games than the other top goal scorers surrounding him. 
He's one of the greatest strikers in the Premier League in Tottenham Hotspur's history. And despite this, he hasn't won any major trophies with Spurs or England for that matter. No Premier League title, no FA Cup, no Champions League, not even a League Cup to his name. All he has is individual trophies, and he's understandably upset. He's already 27, he's in his prime, and if he wants to be known as a truly great player, then he'll have to win some trophies with Tottenham or whatever other team. And it looks like his price tag is around $125 million, so very, very steep. But if Tottenham can't match his match his ambitions he's going to push for a move no matter what it takes so what's next after this what does this all entail well tottenham and their chairman chairman daniel levy are very content on sitting on their hands and not entertaining any offers for him but again if spurs don't win the league cup final this year against manchester city and fail to make it to even europa league how can you say a tottenham are trending in the right direction you can't. And I just found this stat, I think, recently. Let me let me look for it. Uh, Jose Mourinho has lost, what, 10 league matches in a single season for the first time in his entire career. Obviously, there's things going wrong in Tottenham Hotspur. And there's only a few teams that could afford him for the steep price that he's set at, even if he is pushing for a move out. You know, especially in this la- economic landscape, the likes of Manchester United and Man City in England and maybe PSG, Barca, Real, and Juventus are the only teams that could afford him. And there's still a lot of questions, but the big picture idea is it's going to be a very monumental move if it happens. It's going to take a lot of work, a lot of dominoes falling to place, including you know Tottenham Hotspur failing for the rest of the season. But no matter where he goes, he'll make the team he lands at better. He's one of the best strikers in the world right now, and he needs trophies. And how Spurs end their season, maybe lifting the League Cup or maybe failing to qualify for Europa League, will dictate his next moves and might dictate how the Premier League shapes up for the next couple of years. Jack, same question as last week. Where do you want Kane to go, whether that's another club or staying at Spurs? And where do you think he'll actually go? Uh, out of the Premier League is where I'd like him <laughs> yep, to go. Uh, I, I, I just don't like Harry Kane. It's it's a very weird reason, but uh, but basically, what the first World Cup I watched, twenty eighteen, I just didn't want England to win, so I, it just turned into a hatred towards Harry Kane. Uh, but you know, I I think that the best place for him to go would be somewhere where he can actually like you know challenge for Europe, challenge for trophies. So I I think to that extent, like you know. PSG, if if they could afford it, I mean they can afford him. Duh. Uh, you know, would be a decent one, especially since without Edinson Cavani, they've kind of struggled without that key number nine up top. Uh, that would be a good fit. Uh, joining up with CR seven at uh, Juventus for a season or two would be a good move, I think, as well, because Alvaro Morata is not a, a, a clinical striker, and. Uh, Otherwise, Real Madrid would be a, a good move. I think any of those would be good locations. I think out of all of those, the most likely would be PSG. It would make a lot of sense to rejoin with his old manager and all that. Right, so right. I, I think that would be a good move. And also, it's probably the only club that can really afford him, mm-hmm. uh, to be honest. So I, I think that's the most logical one. Yeah. For me, where do I want him to go? Yeah, I'll take him at West Ham. You know, the backup to Mikel Antonio. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. 
where I think he'll realistically go, I think he either stays at Tottenham. I think that's the maybe the most likely option at this point. There's so much that needs to happen for him to make a big money move, but it could very, very well happen. If that does happen, I think it would be Man City. I feel like he's the type of player, not just in terms of pedigree, but also just play style that they would want to uh, replace Sergio Aguero. And I feel like they might be able to afford him if they don't bring in Messi this summer. So uh, if if they get Kane, it's the Premier League's over at that point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But oh, I really hope that doesn't happen. So let's talk about something maybe a little bit happier. And that is Inter Miami getting into another mess up again with Pellegrini. Jack, take us across the pond and talk uh, again about MLS. Yeah, well, it's happy for anyone who's not a Miami fan. Right, of course. Uh, but, you know, Inter-Miami are looking to be in a bit of trouble because they're not roster compliant with MLS guidelines as they have SMH. four designated players. SMH. Yeah, I mean, they, they've got World Cup winning midfielder, Blaise Matuidi. Uh, they've got Rodolfo Pizarro, the attacking midfielder, and the legendary striker, Gonzalo Higuain. Uh, and, you know, they also have Matias Pellegrini, a young Argentine winger uh, who is 21, but that just breaks the rules. So there's officially an investigation open into Inter-Miami about, one, Blaise Matuidi and how they acquired him on a TAM uh, targeted allocation money deal. Uh, but the main thing that's an issue is what to do about Matias Pellegrini, because, you know... Miami feel like they can't get rid of any of these other players. Rodolfo Pizarro was one of their best players last season. And while Matuidi and uh, Higuain struggled last season, they see that him as, a, or those two players, as pretty essential parts of the team that they're building and the identity they're building. So uh, originally, they thought that they might be able to have him under the Under-21 initiative that MLS recently launched. But unfortunately... His salary is a little bit too high in order to make all of that work. So Miami have been looking around MLS for a potential suitor because they've got to get rid of him by April 16th. And whether that's a loan move, a permanent transfer, or something else, some club has to take him. But Miami are looking in a little bit more trouble because whatever club signs him is going to have to take on a designated player, which a lot of clubs are kind of hesitant to do right now given that we're in the middle of a pandemic and he would be an expensive player to add to the roster. But uh, the athletic, uh, you know, a, a writer that AJ and I know pretty well, Jeff Reuter, who writes Let's a go. lot for Minnesota United, uh, had an article talking about some potential locations where Matias Pellegrini could end up. And some of these sound kind of ridiculous and, uh, I'll just go through them. So Colorado Rapids is listed as a potential location because they only have one designated player. I don't see this as very likely given that they have two left wingers already. Uh, so they don't really need... Uh, I'm not sure if that that's the best choice for them. DC United, which I actually think would be potentially one of the, one of the better locations for him to head off to. Supposedly Houston Dynamo would, uh, are, are interested, but... I'm shocked. I would be shocked if that actually works out because, you know, they sold attack, uh, really good attacking talent, but I'm not sure if they have enough money to make that deal happen. But uh, two other two other potential suitors are New York Red Bulls, 
and Rail Salt Lake. Again, not very likely, especially not Rail Salt Lake, given all the backroom troubles. And then I think the most interesting one is San Jose Earthquakes, because they have DP spots open. And they only have one DP currently, a right-winger in Christian Espinoza. This could be a really good chance for him to link up with another Argentine, Matias Pellegrini, uh, and Christian Espinoza, and an Argentine coach. And, you know, I, I, I think that this could be really interesting. Uh, I, and I, I honestly think that it's the most likely location for him, honestly. Uh, but it's going to take a lot to get that happening, and they only have five days to do it, or oh, four gosh. days if you're listening to this on Monday. So it's going to be it's going to be tro- a troubling one. But AJ, where do you think Matias Pellegrini should head off to, and do you think Miami will be able to resolve this in time? I think. Well, to answer your, fir- your second question first, I think Miami will figure out a way to solve this issue one way or the other, either by either by making a move for him within MLS or working out a deal with MLS to kind of extend their grace period so they can find a move or find a way to become roster compliant. I don't think MLS is going to let Miami fail like that. That's be some pretty bad press. I actually think that RSL might be an option. And you mentioned okay. their backroom troubles. I do agree with that. But I think that might be able to help them because... They can't spend big on a DP. They've said they won't spend big on a third DP, but they won't have to spend a transfer fee on this guy. They'll just have to spend at least some of their salary, which is going to be a lot cheaper than actually bringing a DP in. Yes, they have kind of, you know, some uh, good depth in the attacking third. So it's not like he's necessarily an area of need. But if they work at some different positions out for the different players that he might be ahead of, then it, it, it might work. San Jose, I do think, is the more, uh, I guess, traditional route that they could take. I think that might add a lot for Mattia Almeida's team there. But wherever that works out, wherever he goes, you know, it's going to be interesting. This is, I, I've gotten a lot of, uh, you know, good chuckles thinking about this because it's a very interesting move you don't really get this kind of drama in MLS. So it, it, it it's, it's all good. It, it's, it's all good fun unless you're an inter-Miami front office worker. <laughs> but let's go on to another serious topic. I feel like we've, we've been talking about th- this kind of stuff you know, for the past couple of weeks, but I, I, I think it's important. And this is kind of a, a different take on the racism, homophobia, and sexism that we talk about every week. We're going to talk about a couple different acts of discrimination, and more importantly, what it means going forward in terms of how football slash soccer deals with this and deals with disc- discrimination. So as people know, Juan Cala of Cadiz in Spain's La Liga, hope I pronounce any of those words right, was accused of using uh, racist language against Valencia's Diacabi. Valencia walked off the pitch and released a statement condemning the action. And of course, this got a lot of people talking on social media. And eventually, you know, Kala came out and basically said that, you know, this is all false. It's preposterous and that there's no racism in Spanish football. And the Liga, at the conclusion of their investigation, found no evidence against Juan Kala despite some of his language being picked up by mics on the field. And apparently La Liga used a third-party neutral lip reader for that. 
Another thing that happened this week was Sebastian Legette, an American and LA Galaxy midfielder, posted a video of him joking around with his Hispanic American teammate Julian Araujo and used a homophobic Spanish slur that's pretty well known. He then promptly took the video down, apologized, and hopefully he moves forward with it. More than s- some people would have done, you know, I think it's also interesting to note that he's dating Becky G, one of the world's biggest Latin pop stars, so I'd like to say he didn't mean it menacingly, but either way, don't say it. Either way, you have to take you know responsibility for your actions. Liam Moore, a Reading FC defender, was racially abused on Twitter. Actions like this on Twitter has caused teams such as Rangers and Swansea to boycott social media for a period of time. Now, what did all these actions that happened in the past week have in common? They all got made fun of. They were all ridiculed on social media. When Han Kala got acquitted, people said, that clears it up. He's not racist. I've seen all I needed to. Innocent until proven guilty, and he was proven innocent. With Sebastian Legette, it was, well, if you're going to go after him, why don't you go after all the Mexican fans that say the word to at every game? You know, it's clear that he didn't mean it like that. And with Liam Moore, Rangers, and Swansea, it's, what's boycotting going to do? It's useless. And people have so often ignored acts of discrimination because they're either racist, homophobic, and sexist themselves, or probably more commonly, more often than not, they just don't want to have to come to the conclusion that things need to change. With racism, I often think that it's people who haven't had really think about race. It's not a big deal for them. It doesn't affect their daily lives. Meanwhile, for you know Jack and I, we've had to deal with it because that's who we are. We're minorities. If they can easily explain a way out and explain why something isn't racist or homophobic, they take it. It's an easy out so people don't have to think about it and really you know, delve and self-reflect on their own racism. People don't want to take actions or don't want to see actions be taken, and that's why they don't like the boycott they, or they don't think it's effective. And even if it doesn't affect you, you still have to fight discrimination and you don't have to be on it 100% of the time, but you just can't let someone... Be free of consequence because the league said they couldn't tell if it was racism when the victim has stayed steadfast in his position. You can't just go, what about this other bad thing that happens when homophobia occurs? Because that's ignoring the issue that we're talking about. And you can't just say it's going to not change anything when not doing anything at all is a much worse alternative. People recognize that racism and homophobia is bad, obviously, but they don't want to do much about it. Or unless discrimination is literally hitting them in the head, they don't recognize it as such. And I've seen a lot of people go, well, that's how social media is. Just ignore them or stop trying to cancel people. And just because the world is you know, sucky sometimes, that doesn't mean that we have to let it be that way. It's not cancel culture if it's just holding people accountable for their actions. I mean, it's not a big deal. It's just the way that things should be uh, so we can get rid of racism. I think we just need to start advocating for change. We don't get rid of racism by ignoring it. We don't get rid of homophobia by just ignoring it. Because last time I checked, minorities and, you know, people of color and the LGBT community didn't get voting rights and equal opportunities by staying silent. There's a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of how we actually go about advocating for change, as we talked about in our racism episode. But doing nothing like this, you know, it... it, It's just a dumb way of going about things. Ignoring these issues instead of trying to embrace the change is, at its core, problematic and kind of backwards when you're trying to fight these issues. 
Jack, do you think I'm on the right page or what do you think about that? Yeah, I think you're on the right page. There, there's got to be more done to combat the, these kinds of incidents because, you know, I, I think almost every week we've had a story like this because it's that prominent. And to, pe- uh, to people who say like, oh, this isn't really happening that often. I, where are you? Where, where I, I, yeah. I, I want to know this what, podcast. We talk about it like every yeah, week. Apparently, like, I, I don't I don't know how you can how you can just not see these because it happens all the time. And, you know, I, I, I wonder and I'm hoping maybe a bit optimistically that the Swansea and Rangers social media boycott will spark something and make people think, hey, wait, maybe, maybe this is actually affecting someone. But unfortunately, just given how widespread this issue is in the sport and I mean, just in society in general, I, I think it'll take a lot more than just two teams boycotting social media to make a change. Yeah, we'll see where that leads. But again, this is something that we, li- we like to talk about because it's very pervasive in the soccer world. Discrimination is something that Jack and I really you know like to talk about because it's a very important topic to us. So if it happens again, I don't think we'll try to well, I don't think we're going to aim to talk about it because hopefully that's not the case. But uh, we will if we have to, obviously. But now those are our big stories. Let's move on to our real quick section going over the things real quickly. Uh, first off the bat is the CCL updates. CONCACAF Champions League happened this past week, the first leg of the round of 16. Not a lot of podcasts talk about it, so I thought I'd highlight how it's going for the different teams. CD Marathon versus Portland Timbers ended 2-2. A very decent away draw for Portland as they got two away goals. Again, for tournaments like this, the tiebreaker is away goals. So those two goals are going to be very important. Alajulense versus Atlanta United end up 1-0 for Atlanta United. You know, before this match, Alajulense hadn't lost a match this entire spring season in the Costa Rican League. So for Atlanta to come into their home and take a 1-0 lead is insanely impressive. That came off a Barco penalty, but that doesn't really matter. What really mattered was Joseph Martinez making a comeback after being gone for a year with injury. And their starting goalkeeper, Brad Guzan, got a red card. So their 18-year-old backup goalkeeper, Rocco Rios Novo, had to step in and save the onslaught of chances Alu Luense had. And we had RKE versus Cruz Azul end up 0-0. Haitian team kept first place Cruz Azul goalless. That's pretty insane. That probably will change in the second leg, but pretty impressive by them. Saprisa versus Philadelphia Union, 1-0 to Philadelphia Union. To get a positive result in Costa Rica is difficult. To get a win is downright applaudable. The big moment of the game wasn't the goal, however. It was the stoppage time sliding tackle on Kai Wagner. From a Saprisa player that flipped him. Like the tackle was so hard, Wagner did a full flip in the air and fell to the ground. And it was only a yellow. But the issues in refing and concaf is a story for another time. Club Leon versus Toronto. I talk about that later in the prediction section, so stay tuned for that. CD Olympia versus Club America. Olympia had a lot of chances early on, but couldn't finish, and America punished them. Real Esteli versus Columbus Crew ended up 4-0 towards the Columbus Crew, and the crew just dominated. However, they did end up losing Nagby and Santos to injury, so we'll see how they deal with that in the return leg this week. They're still favorites. Uh, they're still the favorite MLS team to win the tournament, however. And Pantoja versus Monterey ended up 3-0 to the Mexican team. Jack, why don't you talk about Euro 2020 or 2021, however you want to call it, and their updates on stadium capacity. Could we potentially get some fans in for the Euro tournament this summer? Yeah, well, this is something I've been looking forward to. In fact, actually, uh, we're recording this April 11th. 
the Euro 2020 tournament in 2021 starts in two months, which I'm super hyped for. Uh, to the day? I, like, to the day? Yeah, to the day. Yeah, oh, wow. two months to the day. It starts on June 11th, and I am extremely excited for that. Uh, but they actually, uh, eight of the 12 host cities for Euro 2020 announced plans for stadium capacity. And in Budapest, they'll have 100% capacity in the stadium, subject to strict entry requirements, of course. But it's going to be awesome to see that uh, actually occur. I'm, I'm hoping it will be able to happen, but that, that sounds really great. In, uh, for two other cities, Baku and St. Petersburg, they're, they're going to be operating at 50% capacity with spectators needing to produce and show a negative COVID-19 test. And then uh, four more cities are going to be at 33% capacity, those being Amsterdam, Bucharest, Copenhagen, and Glasgow. And, uh, you know, uh, the first three of those, uh, Amsterdam, Bucharest, and Copenhagen, might actually go up to uh, up to 50%. So we'll see hmm. about that. And then 25% will be allowed in London, in Wembley. And that's a minimum and could rise up to 75% according to a press release. So that, that's pretty exciting news. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, though, we don't have anything from four of host cities. Uh, Munich, Rome, Bilbao, and Dublin are, are still not producing any plans, and they only have until April 19th until wow. they can be guaranteed that they'll have games played there. So... I, wow. I'm excited to see what they produce, but this gives me a lot of hope for those Euros being really exciting. Yeah, first major tournament with fans since the end of uh, you know, fan attendance in large numbers with the beginning of the COVID pandemic. I think it's going to be really interesting. Hopefully other tournaments like maybe Gold Cup can allow some fans. I don't know the current vaccine uh, situation in South America. I don't know if Copa America will be able to uh, have fans in the stadiums, but you know, hopefully this is a step in the right direction. And with that, we're going to move on to the USMNT corner. We don't have a going jack in time this week, but this is a big week for the US men's national team. So in the USMNT corner, I decided to ask the question, what does our striker pool look like and who's our starting number nine and what does it mean for the USMNT? Now, like I said before, this was a very, very good week for the national team abroad. We had, you know, people like Pulisic and Reyna and Brian Reynolds play pretty well. And I really want to highlight the strikers that did really well. Namely, Daryl DK, who scored three goals in two games, eight goals in the last 11 games for Barnsley. And even here in North America, Giassi Zardes of the Columbus Crew scored a brace in the CCL this past week. And other strikers are doing pretty well. So I thought I'd evaluate the different candidates and what they mean for our striker pool in general. We obviously have Josh Sargent, as Jack likes to say, who's had five goals for Werder Bremen this season. He's really good at connecting attacks in a Firmino-esque role. Instead of being an out-and-out -out target man or poacher, he creates space, chances, and attacking opportunities for both him and most importantly, other attackers like Pulisic and Reyna for the USMNT and Rashika and Selka for Bremen. This isn't to mention how good he is at defending and pressing as a center forward. One of the moments that sticks out to me about him is in the game against, I believe, Northern Ireland this past couple of weeks. A defender was about to make a fast break and Sargent just takes him out with a tactical foul. 
Just an example of him being very smart and tactical with his defensive contributions, making sure that attacks can happen uh, before they get out of hand. His weaknesses are twofold, in my opinion. He's not the best at finishing. He's underperforming his XG by 0.14, while most other strikers in the Bundesliga are comfortably overperforming their XG, demonstrating that his finishing isn't up to par. He's also had trouble performing when his teammates' finishing and delivery aren't good. I mean, to be fair, it is hard to excel when, to be brutally honest, your teammates aren't finishing the chances you create and don't have the ability to pass you the ball. To me, his performances with the national team and his technical ability warrant him being our number one. Werder Bremen are just a subpar team currently, and he's still just a 21-year-old who's still developing. His class and his ability is there. It's undeniable. My number two is probably Daryl DK, who's currently on loan from Orlando City to the English Championship's Barnsley FC, and who scored eight goals in the past 11 games for them. He almost single-handedly, or single-footedly, put Barnsley FC in the promotion playoff spots. Quite the feat. And, you know, it's been said a million times before, but he is a beast. Despite English defenders trying their best to chop him down like a tree, his physical strength and stamina allows him to push forward and score goals. He's pacey, strong, and has his stamina stamina to survive the championship. But most importantly, he's a very smart player. He knows how to use his physicality to his advantage, and he understands where he needs to run and make plays. The main concern people have for him is his technical ability. He's got some stuff to clean up when he's actually on the ball. And he could also you know, be even better than a championship team so we'll have to see where that leads him to but i love the idea of having a very technical striker in josh Sargent start out the match and in the 65th minute you sub in a physically dominant high soccer iq guy like dk to destroy opponents tired legs and so i think those are our leading two candidates for striker after number two it gets murky i like these two as guys for the future because they're still young they're still developing but you can't blindly rely on these two guys to get you to the world cup we still need a number three to be either be a very solid backup or a veteran presence. So who are our options? Well, you have Zardes, who scored a brace for Columbus, always had consistent output in MLS, usually in very good form. He's scoring 44 goals for the crew. However, he's never performed against top-level talent, either at the club level because he's never left MLS, nor against national team opponents like Mexico. You just can't rely on him for big games. But he might be our best pick for number three, not necessarily because he's you know, a, an amazing player, but just because he's our most consistent guy. Well, yeah, when you look at the other players, maybe you have Jordan Siabachu, who scored a boatload of goals for young boys in Switzerland and kind of plays the same role as Sargent, but hasn't performed at the same level. He's a very good backup, though. Maybe you go Josie Altidore, who's performing at pretty high levels in the Netherlands and against national team opponents, but at the same time can't stay healthy for prolonged periods of time, which is very important given how old he is. He's a veteran presence, but he's also injured. And then we get into a territory of young guys who, while good, still need time to develop before they can really rely on them. Matthew Hoppe, Sebastian Soto, Nicholas Giochini, and Jesus Ferreira are all you know, very good options. What this tells us is we have two very interesting high potential choices as our starting number nine. And then a lot of question marks after that. But with World Cup qualifying being a marathon and not a sprint, we will need multiple different strikers to get us through the entirety of that tournament. Maybe not starting, but I will bet that we see four to five to six different strikers to get some playing time over the next two years. 
we have a lot of options, our pool is wide, but our pool is not deep. We're going to need another one or two more players to make their claim as a strong number nine option. Because imagine if DK and Sargent are injured, just how scared USMNT fans will be for our next match. With no clear number three option, it becomes more transparent how perilous our striker pool is. So I will say to people listening, keep a lookout for the Gold Cup performances. I don't think we'll take both Sargent and DK to the Gold Cup. So if we have some standout striker performances in the Gold Cup, we might find out who our third choice, fourth choice, and fifth choice strikers are. We, you know, I talked about the strikers. I talked about what this means for the U.S. men's national team. I think this is a very big discussion that we're going to be having for the next couple months. But since I have been talking for a while, let's go on to our next next segment, which is the last week predictions. We will go over the big games that happened last week. As always, check out next week for our USMNT corner. But now, Jack, why don't you kick us off with Bayern versus PSG and go over the scoring of this game. Yeah, well, uh, the scoring for our predictions works out the same as usual. You get 10 points for predicting the correct winner or correct result and 20 points for getting the exact score correct. Zero points if you get none of that correct. Uh, but I'll start off with the big game of the week, Bayern versus PSG in the UCL. This one, I mean, I don't, I don't think many people could have possibly seen this result coming uh, with PSG winning 3-2 to two against Bayern Munich. The title holders got beaten for the first time in nearly two years in the wow. Champions League by PSG, their final opponents from last season. Against a snowy Munich backdrop, the GOAT, Kylian Mbappe, received Neymar's cutback in the second minute and coolly finished past Neuer. Then Marquinhos, the center back, got well advanced and headed past Neuer to make it 2-0 in 30 minutes. However, Eric Maxim Choupo-Moting loves the Champions League game, apparently, and scored against his old club to make it 1-2 going into halftime. But the Bayern Munich legend, Thomas Muller, mm -hmm. evened it up at 60 minutes with a header where he just ghosted in behind the defense and just got under Taylor Navas. It was an impressive run by him. Uh, but just eight minutes later, Mbappe lost the entire Bayern backline. They were caught napping in midfield, uh, and he received a perfect through ball from Angel Di Maria and beat Neuer at his near post to take a 2-3 to three away win for PSG. This makes it pretty much a, a, a done deal that PSG advances. Three away goals and a win in the first leg is going to be tough for Bayern to overcome. Uh, but this one, uh, AJ and I both backed Bayern, and we paid for it. Uh, AJ guessed 2-1, to one, and I guessed 3-2, to two, so close, but just had it flipped around. Both yeah. of us got zero on that one. I, I wouldn't put it past Bayern to come back, but it's going to be very hard. Yeah. I'd say that's kind of an upset, even if Bayern were missing Robert Lewandowski. So oh, yeah. good on PSG, good on them. Another Champions League matchup, but this time the different kind, the one that we like way more. Just kidding. CONCACAF Champions League, Club Leon versus Toronto FC. Ended up being one to one. You know, Toronto FC came into Club Leon and got the draw. And if we're keeping things a buck fifty, Leon should have scored at least four. Toronto had a new coach, were missing so many of their key players, hadn't played a competitive match in like five months. Leon were in mid-season form, and yet they could only tie them. 
Leon dominated possession 70% to 30%, outshot Toronto 18 shots to 5, and created 12 chances to Toronto's 3. Navarro scored for Leon in the 25th minute, and a Mosquero, Mosquera own goal leveled the game to the 1-1 scoreline that it ended up finishing as. And even after that own goal, it looked like Leon would score one or two more goals to get themselves the win. But Toronto fans will be breathing a sigh of relief because Leon just weren't clinical in the final third, name drop, and just scuffed their chances. And so to come away from Mexico with a draw, with an away goal, is pretty impressive. But it's going to take a lot more to close the series out this week, especially if they, they lost Josie Altstor to injury and are still missing some key players. Both Jack and I backed the Mexican team to win. I said 2-0. Jack said 2-1. Neither of us got it right. And Jack, why don't you take it to you know another matchup that we we sh- for sure definitely got points in. Oh, we yeah. definitely got points yeah. in Juventus versus Napoli. Yeah, well, uh, Juventus, after having a really lackluster past month, they responded with a solid performance against their southern rivals, Napoli, in a key race for the Champions League places in Serie A. Ronaldo started Juve off in the 13th min- minute, taking Federico Chiesa's cutback and calmly finishing past David Ospina, the Colombian keeper. For the next 60 minutes, though, not much of note really happened, until Paulo Dybala scored a wonderful curling effort to make it 2-0. However, Lorenzo Insigne, you know, he loves a goal against Juventus and couldn't go without scoring this time around. And this time, it came from a penalty kick, uh, like it did in the first time these teams met, although this one came at the end of the match in the 90th minute, too late to change the result. AJ guessed a draw, which he was pretty close uh, Almost. to. And I guessed the complete wrong one. I, I guessed 0-1 to one for Napoli. Uh, probably should have backed Ronaldo. But each of us got zero points from that one. But AJ, why don't you take us down to the opener of the NWSL season in Houston versus Chicago? Yeah, so Houston Dash versus Chicago Red Stars in the National Women's Soccer League. Of course, the first game of the season is a 0-0 draw. Each team seemed to still be in preseason form. Chicago's offense didn't impress, and Houston as a whole didn't really impress me and didn't really put much confidence within me. Something that neither of us noticed when we actually made these predictions was that the women's FIFA window is happening right now. So there's a ton of NWSL-based USWNT players who are out on international duty. So Houston and Chicago are missing some of their key players like Ertz with Chicago and Mewis with Houston. That completely slipped my mind. And if we remember that, perhaps we wouldn't gotten this right. It was a pretty lackluster game other than that. So really can't say much about it. I said 2-0 to zero for Houston. Jackson won a 0 to Chicago Red Stars. Again, neither of us get any points. We're kind of 0-4 for 4 right now. But Jack, El Clasico, the biggest game of the season. Biggest game perhaps in the world historically. We definitely should have gotten points for this. Did we get points for this, Jack? Well, let, let's talk about the game first, and then we can go, <laughs> go into that. Uh, but you know, given that this could be both Lionel Messi and Marcelo's last El Clasico, it had to be a special match, and boy was it. Real Madrid started off strongly with Lucas Vasquez crossing into the box, and Benzema scored a back heel goal 
in the 13th minute. It was it was a really nice goal. And unfortunately, after that, Lucas Vasquez had to come off injured, which is a big loss for an already injury-laden Real Madrid squad. Just 15 minutes later, though, Tony Kroos does what Tony Kroos does best and scored directly from a free kick, which unfortunately deflected off Serginio Des no. for a 2-0 lead for Real Madrid. However, this game wasn't over, and the biggest sign of intent uh, in that first half, just before the halftime whistle, Messi nearly scored directly from a corner, hitting the post. It curled in. It, it looked like it was about to creep in. It, Courtois had completely missed it, but it just bounced away at the last second and was uh. cleared away. So close to being the best El Clasico goal from Lionel Messi, but... Uh, surprisingly, with all of the attacking talent on the pitch, Barcelona's goal came from center-back Oscar Mingueza in the 60th minute. But of course, this match had to have that little extra spice of drama, with Casemiro committing not one, but two bookable tackles in one minute at the end of the match. Uh, both on Lionel Messi, both on the edge of the 18-yard box for Real Madrid, and got sent off in the last minute. So, of course... You know, it wouldn't be an El Clasico without some drama. There was also some penalty drama on both sides where, you know, Real Madrid thought they should have had a penalty and Barcelona thought they should have had a penalty. Personally, I think the Barcelona one was a little bit more worthy of one. Still don't think it was a penalty, though. Uh, but, you know, what a game that was. Uh, but, you know, did we get this right? No. <laughs> AJ guessed <laughs> one to one for zero points. And again, I guessed the, the right scoreline. But the wrong way around, uh, one, I, I guess one to two for Barcelona. I believed in Barcelona and they shot me in the foot and they, and they didn't help us at all. So we went zero for five this week. But if you'll remember, there was a bit of a bonus game that we, that we predicted. So AJ, why don't you talk about that? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm going to say it's very embarrassing that we went for zero for five. Yeah, literally, it's pretty bad. Literally the worst possible score i think we're, we're ever going to get in the like the history and the future of this show oh definitely like i did the math if we're assuming that each type of result win for one team tie or win for the other team is equal it, it's a 1.6 percent chance that we would have gotten completely zero for five the both of us we beat the odds and it's impressive that we were this bad so great for us. Yeah. However, that doesn't mean that we tied. Like you mentioned, we did play a bonus game with the NCAA March Madness final Gonzaga versus Baylor. I don't have a write up for this match because it's not, you know, soccer, but it ended up being 86 to 70 for Baylor, which is you know pretty big considering how Gonzaga was the undefeated team going into this matchup. Me. I guess 79 to 86 to Baylor. Jack said 75 to 70 to Gonzaga. And we said that if we can get the, the exact scoreline right, this would be 10 points. But if we get the result right, at least five points. I got the result right, which means not even because of soccer. I won this week because of college basketball. That's how embarrassingly we did this week. I, I was telling some of my friends and my mom and we're, they were like, why do you even have a soccer show if you're this bad at predicting? And I was like, I do not know at least why we have a prediction section if we're so bad at it. But I ended up winning five, Jack to zero. That takes me, if I look at last week's notes, four, nine, and one. Jack, you're at four, seven, and three. 
and our guests as a whole are still three, two, and two. Very embarrassing from us, even if I got the win. Jack, how do you feel about last week's results? Well, we pulled off a pretty incredible thing, not getting a single result correct. So the wooden spoon of predictions. Yeah, the yes. wooden spoon. That that's what happened. But you know what? We're I, I think I think this week we're gonna pull Minnesota United. That's why I wore this jersey. Let's go. Come around from a terrible record in in uh in one show to hopefully not like a twenty seventeen to twenty eighteen switch. But a 2018 to 2019 switch. Yes, the, the three-year plan. I like yes. it. I like it. So let's hope that we can do that this week with this week's predictions. All right. Well, I think our goal for this week, just to, to bite a, a John Mulaney pit, once you airball, your goal isn't to make the basket. It's just to hit stuff. So I think as long as I get maybe like 10 or 20 points, I'll be like, this is still an improvement. It's an improvement. Let's <laughs> kick it off this week's predictions with the uswnt versus the french women's national team in an international friendly both teams i believe france made it to the olympics as the women's team uh they are tuning up for the summer olympics this upcoming summer in tokyo jack who do you think is going to take this because i know you're you're a friend's french men's national team fan i don't know how much you know about the women's national team well, I follow I follow some of their players around okay. in the in the you know women's champions league uh, because you know the French the 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 French team has some incredible players uh, playing for those teams, uh, and overall uh, I I'm going based off of the most recent form and like France pulled off a really impressive win over England I wa- I watched some of that and it was really impressive they won three to one and the U S women's national team kind of struggled against sweden it took a penalty to get a draw and it wasn't the most impressive performance and i think you probably know where i'm going with this uh-huh. uh i i'm gonna i i know that the in the in the world cup the u.s women's team beat france but i think i'm, I'm gonna go for a draw on this one as well i think it's gonna play out in a draw i'm gonna say one to one i think both of these teams are very solid uh, so two two of the best teams in the world in the women's game, and I think that they that each side has incredible players. Then and I think they'll cancel each other out for a one one draw. All right. Well, I will say that both teams have been very good in form. USWNT hasn't lost in like two years since before the twenty nineteen World Cup. France is a tough test. They've also been on a pretty good undefeated run. They have a strong squad who did make the quarterfinals the last World Cup. And USWNT, like you said, did look pretty shaky last game against Sweden. And this is away in France's home. I'm going to guess a very shaky 2-1 win for USWNT. I had, to be fair, a 1-1 draw between the two, but I changed it just to maximize our chances of not going 0-5, for the both of us. So I, I do believe in the women's national team. I do believe that they're going to learn. Vladko will learn from his mistakes that he made tactically the past match. I think they'll be able to do it. But one team that we might not be so sure if they can do it is Borussia Dortmund coming back against Man City in the UEFA Champions League. Jack, who do you think is going to win? Do you think Erling Holland can lift Dortmund against Man City? Well. I think he could, but the issue I see in this game is Borussia Dortmund 
have so many injuries. They they they're missing some very key players. They're missing their goalkeeper, their starting goalkeeper, uh, Roman Berkey. They're missing Jaden Sancho. They're arguably what like their best player on his day. So I, even though they're at home and Borussia Dortmund just aren't in good form, they barely scratched out a win against Stuttgart this past weekend as well. Manchester City, though, they they didn't look the best this weekend either. They lost to Leeds with a 90th minute winner from Stuart Dallas in that game. So overall, both of these teams, not on the best of form, but overall, City were resting a ton of their players for their for their game against uh, Borussia Dortmund in midweek. And City also, you know, they can sit back a little bit more. They do have an advantage. So I think that this will play out pretty well for City because they can they can play their best players and they don't have as many injuries right now. So I'm going to go City 2 to Dortmund 1. I, I think that because Dortmund have to go out in search of that goal, they're going to have to attack a little bit more and because of that, they're going to be vulnerable to Manchester City. Jack, I had the same exact oh, scoreline, so I'm changing. I'm changing it to 3-1 to one Man wow, okay. City. Because Dortmund walk into this match with everything to play for and nothing to lose. They have the way goal. They had the talent. However, they just don't have the raw output that Man City have. I think they'll be able to make it close. I don't think they'll be able to beat the citizens. I expect a very valiant effort. But even against league opposition, they've struggled. Case in point, their game against Stuttgart and Frankfurt the past couple weeks where they have very much struggled to either win or, in the case with Frankfurt's game, lose. So I think it's going to be a 3-1 uh, win for Man City. I think last weekend was a blip. I think they, they rotated a little bit. Man City did. So I think Man City's going to be very well-rested, very ready for this matchup. And, you know, going on towards the quarterfinals, or not quarter, the semifinals of the Champions League, I think they'll be ready. But we have another big matchup, even bigger than the Champions League. We're talking about MLS kickoff. Jack and I are hopefully going to be live commentating this game, Seattle Sounders versus our Minnesota United FC. Just the second game in the upcoming MLS season. Jack, who is taking this game? This is a, a matchup, a rematch, actually, of last year's 2020 MLS Western Conference Final where Minnesota United unfortunately gave up a 2-0 lead to lose in the final and Seattle Sounders went on to reach MLS Cup leaving us in the dust who is taking this Jack yeah well that that's such a sad moment I, I uh, it, 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 <laughs> sorry but, to make you relive it yeah, I guess oh, but you know I when I was preparing for you know that that live uh, watch lawn we're gonna do, I I was looking at the rosters of the of these teams, and one thing I noticed is that Minnesota United, from the uh, from the loss against Seattle to now, and I, I said this earlier, we we have a deeper squad than before, and we have some really good players that we can call on. Sure, we have an uh, a key injury, Ike Opara. And Bakaye Dubasi both look like they might be out for this first game, but overall, I I think Minnesota United. I I know I'm gonna I'm gonna curse I I might curse this, but I think they have the talent to do this. Plus the acquisition of Ramon Abila 
and all and potentially uh you know the acquisition of a new winger i think they can do it especially since seattle haven't looked all that strong in the preseason minnesota united have looked pretty good so far and because of that i'm going to go for a reverse scoreline from that western conference final oh wow seattle two to minnesota united three Wow, wow, wow. I, I, I really like that would be very poetic if that it would happens. Be. It, would, it would be great. Seattle Sounders, I, I'll have you know, are, I believe, still missing Ludero to mm-hmm. an injury. He's day-to-day currently. I don't know if they're going to risk him for the, that first matchup. We have a, a pretty deep squad, like you said. We are missing Debossi, so our back line isn't going to be as strong as it possibly can be. But for me, the X factor for this game is Minnesota have never won against Seattle in the MLS era. I don't think that changes. And I'm, I, I know, I know I'm, I'm as big as a Minnesota United fan as anyone else, but I just don't see it happening. I don't even think we're going to draw. I, I, I can't tell you if we have drawn Seattle Sounders. I think it might have been all losses. Jack, you can look that up real quickly, can't you? Yeah, um, but we have never won at Lumen Field, I can tell you that. At, at least Lumen Field, yes. And, you know, to go to Seattle is very, very uh, scary. I don't know if, they have, if they're going to have fans, but even without fans, obviously last season, they just had the mentality that Minnesota United were lacking. I think it's going to be uphill for Minnesota ment- mentally. So I'm putting it as a 2-1 to one loss for Minnesota. Seattle taking this one. I know it, it's unfortunate to say, but I'm just covering our bases. I, I, I think... If Seattle wins, I'll be happy because I get the 10 points. But if Minnesota United wins, I'll be happy because Minnesota gets the three points. True, so no I, matter what happens, yeah. I'll, I'll be pretty happy unless yeah. they draw then. Well, whatever. You, you know what? Since I, I've already stolen two of your predictions for this. So why don't you take it away and start us off for our fourth game, which is Athletic Bilbao yeah, sure. versus Barcelona in the Copa del Rey. I will for sure take that because it's a very big final. I'm very excited about this. Barcelona did lose El Clasico this past week, but they're still, you know, very good. They found pretty decent form, relatively speaking, given the crazy season. But you can't say the same about Athletic Bilbao, who haven't won since early March. I expect this to be a very calculated matchup. Not too many goals, but a comfortable Barcelona win. I think, for me, the difference maker is just the fact that Barcelona have been here. They have the experience, even if they have you know a relatively young squad uh, in terms of some prospects in different positions. I think they're going to get this win two to zero over Athletic Bilbao. Jack, please don't tell me you have the same exact scoreline, but we I, might have the same result. What do you think about this game? I don't have the same scoreline, but I do have the same result. Like you said, Athletic Bilbao's form just isn't that good, and Barcelona had put together a 19-game unbeaten run against Spanish opposition before the El Clasico loss. And, you know, I, I think Barcelona, they, they want to get silverware this, this season. That, that's what they do. That's, that's who they are as a team. And because of that, I think that there's going to be an extra drive to really hammer home this one, play it, play it out. I, I think that it's going to be a great game to watch. But I actually have a lot more goals than, or not necessarily a lot more goals, just double the amount. Uh, I have it going Atletico Bilbao 1 to Barcelona 3. All so right. I, I, think, I think that there will be 
You know what? I'm going to say there's going to be a death skull in there, too. You know what? Why not? A death skull? That'd yeah. be pretty nice. I think I think that would make USMNT Twitter's blow oh, up man. if he scores in a final. But I'm also going to take the, the first prediction for this one because I know you're an Atalanta fan. I'm a very, very casual Juventus fan. They're meeting up in the Serie A, a preview of the Coppa Italia final matchup that's coming in the next month. They're going to be meeting in that final. Uh, but this is in the league, this is Serie A, and it's an important top four matchup. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Juventus is third, Atlanta is fourth. And so yes, this has correct. very big implications on who finishes where. And Juventus have gone on a pretty impressive run in results, winning against Napoli, Genoa, and tying Torino despite missing some great players. Atalanta, honestly, in even better form. And recently they've been actually able to perform decently against top level opponents i know a couple of weeks ago i said they they often lost to top level opponents but they have taken it to lazio napoli and milan so i don't know maybe i was just i don't know what i was seeing before but they've, they've been pretty pretty decent really deserve to be in the top four because of that i honestly do see atalanta taking this even if i want to back weston mckinney i could be very much wrong this is a very close matchup uh, case in point, my scoreline being 1-0 to to Atalanta. I think they have what it takes. I don't think Juventus really have the solidity in the back, solidity in the midfield to get it done, especially away from home. Jack, are you with me? Are you on the Atalanta bandwagon joining one of your favorite teams? See, I know that I know this is going to be strange, but I'm I'm not completely on the bandwagon Whoa. because there's there's just a few reasons. So today I was watching the Fiorentina Atalanta match, and you know Atalanta score a lot, but one thing that really hasn't been resolved is that they give up a lot of chances uh, and a lot oh of no. goals. They gave up a lot of goals. Uh, they gave up two actually that probably should not have been given up. Uh, they just let uh, I think. I, I can't remember his name. It was uh, Vla, Vlahovic. I, I'm pronouncing that wrong. But he they let him through twice. And he just got a one-on-one against Pierluigi Golini. And he finished both times. And the thing is, against an opposition like uh, Juventus, which have Alvaro Morata, not as scary, but Federico <laughs> Chiesa and Cristiano Ronaldo. And... I just don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like Atalanta are going to struggle, but I do see them scoring a lot. And because of that, I, I went for a draw like it has been in the last three times these teams have met. They have oh, wow. drawn in every single one. They drew 1-1, 2-2, and 1-1. I, I, it was a 1-1 last time, so I'm going to say we, they continue on, and it's going to be a 2-2 draw. I mean, if you get the 10 points from this, I'll be happy because Atalanta win. But personally, I, I think that it's going to be a draw between these two sides. I, looking back, probably should have done more research on this game. This is the last game that I did research on. And the fact that Atlanta gave up a lot of goals and I gave <laughs> Juventus, I gave them, the, Atlanta the shutout. And the fact that it's been a draw the past three games, uh, I, it's, it's too late for me to change my answer, but I think I would have if I knew this information. But Jack... Given how badly we did last week, how are you feeling about this week's predictions? Okay. Well, see, the chant, the probability of us getting two weeks in a row where neither of us get any points is like less than 1%. Uh, 
So we've got to get, we, I feel like, you know, there's got to be at least one winner in here. That, yeah, that's, I, that, that's about it. I, I feel like we have a better chance winning the lottery than getting two 0-5 weeks in a row. That'd be. I, I think so. I think so. But I'm feeling pretty good. I, I did try to get some differentials with uh, the MLS game and the Serie A game. So hopefully I can muster up another win, even if last week's win was kind of a kind of a, a wash i suppose yeah. but you know that is the end of this week's episode uh jack again thank you again for co-hosting this episode of the final third we have a lot of cool things going on the next week or so so do you have anything to say to our listeners well as always make sure to check out our twitter at final third show and instagram at final third show uh and especially keep an eye out on twitter because we're going to be posting details about that live watch along, you know, you can turn, you can mute the commentary on your TV uh, of what you're watching and just listen to us. And it will be oh, like wow. an extended podcast episode, you know? Uh, so it'll, it'll be, it'll be a fun time. You can watch along with some Minnesota United fans, uh, make it feel like maybe you're in a stadium with other people talking about the game. It, it's not perfect, but it will be a fun time. I think. Yes. Yes. And you know, as always, Jack already said, follow the Twitter Follow us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and leave a review if your podcast platform allows you to. We like to give a spotlight, give a shout-out to our five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, so if you want a free shout-out, just leave a five-star review in a couple sentences on why you like the show. And yeah, as always, tell a friend who you might think will enjoy the show about the show. That always helps us grow. Uh, word of mouth is always good tell your dad even uh we haven't heard a lot about dads listening to our podcast yet so i guess this uh this marketing trick isn't working but you should do that anyways and join us this thursday for a deep dive episode with a very special guest and next week for our news and predictions show same place same time see ya bye for now